Well, if we start by opening up our Bibles to Micah chapter 7. Good evening, everybody. We are going to be looking specifically at verses 8 through to 20. I'm titling today's sermon, Come, sing a song of faith with me. So it's Micah chapter 7, verses 8 to 20. And this is what it says. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in a fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this space and this time to gather together. Please help me to be faithful and clear. And we ask that you would ready our hearts now. Help us to think and listen and understand 
what you are saying. Please, God, cause your word to uh, impact our lives. Grow us in our faith, our love, and our hope, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, a question that I have, I heard somebody else talking about recently and was a good question for myself was which part of God's word is sustaining you right now? And part of the reason why I found that to be such a good question is because it got under the skin of what the Christian life is about in so many ways. It's about God speaking to us and about us trusting in his word and that word sustaining us in whatever way. And so uh, a question for us tonight is along along similar lines is what are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? The reason I say that, and I'm taking this angle with this text, is because I think that what's happening here is that Micah invites us to join him at the the end of the book of Micah here, uh, in living by faith. I know I said it recently on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's so important, and that is that the Christian life is a life of faith. The object of our faith is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is the only true... uh, Sorry, that God is the only true and living God among all the gods of the world. And he is the sole creator of all that exists. This is the object of our faith. Jesus is his son, both in terms of nature as God and in terms of function as God's appointed king. This makes Jesus the king of all creation. The Christian life is a life of faith and we have faith in God. God is the object of our faith. If the object of our faith is not existent if he's not there, or if he doesn't act in history, our faith is futile. Christians are relying on a being who is not themselves, not their spouses or their mothers, not the government, not what anything else. It's relying on a being, not themselves, to act in history and to make all things right. Specifically, to make all of creation right with a new creation. Specifically, to be faithful to the word that, that our sins will be forgiven and therefore we will be included in the new creation. 
and that our sins will be forgiven and that we will have relationship with God forever. As I said on the Sunday morning the other day, Christians are absolutely banking on that reality and those things happening. If that doesn't happen, we have gotten, we don't have anything else. We've totally lucked out. Which means this is in contrast to the idea that Christianity might be about clever thinking or good strategies for life or a better night's sleep and a goji berry vegan salad with some triple distilled water from the Patagonia mountains to, yes, somebody out there is doing that. To fix my life or give me life or, or be my hope. That's not Christianity. Christianity, the Christian life, is a life of faith and it's faith in a being not ourselves. And we need him to be who he says he is and do what he said he'll do. There's nothing underneath that. That's what we're standing on. Right. With that preface, we come to this text. And a question I'm asking myself, and I ask you, and you can think about it, is how should a faithful Israelite have read these words for the 700 years before Christ? How should they have read them? In what sense? And secondly, what effect was Micah hoping these words would have on his audience? Right? What did Micah think or hope that these words would do to the people who heard them? I think the answer to that question is, the effect is that it would produce faith, and that it should be read as an invitation to imitate Micah's faith, an, Im an invitation to see the world how Micah sees it, and an invitation to hope in the Lord the way that Micah did. And so that's what I hope to show this morning, this evening. Now, how we're going to do that is we're going to go through some of the details, and then I'm going to try and show how that is what I think Mike is doing. It's an invitation to share his faith, to sing his song, and I think he wants us to join him in that. That's why I've called it, Come, Sing a Song of Faith with Me. So that's where we're going. Let's just walk through the text together to get our bearings and see what's actually here. Right, so we're, in, we're starting, we're looking at verse 8 to 20. But I want to just show to begin with that chapter 7, <coughs> sorry, verse 7 is an important context. Right? Because in verse 7, Micah shifts to the first person. He shifts to the first person and he starts talking about himself now. So look in verse 7. But as for me... 
I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me. And then in verse 8, we have the same first person. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. You see that? Micah's now moved to the first person, and that's largely going to carry uh, the text forward to the end. This whole final section is a kind of... Um, it, it's something of a, a declaration or a confession or a song that Micah sings at the end of this prophecy. The prophecy itself, just to get our bearings, remind us of where we are, has been a combination... Micah as a whole, has been a combination of the Lord accusing his people. He's called, he's called the nations in to listen. He said, listen, nations, what's going on? And then, and then the content of what he's called the nations to listen in on, and his own people, of course, is an accusation that they have been idolatrous and that they have been dishonest and greedy and they haven't been loving their neighbours and that because of that, the Lord is, is, has warned them of a coming judgment, but in the midst of that judgment has been promises of future restoration. That's what's been happening in the prophecy as a whole. In chapter 6, the Lord has just finished saying <coughs> to, to the nation, listen, I've only done good to you, I've only treated you good. From the day that I brought you as a nation out of Israel, I've only done you good. You, however, have only persisted in dishonesty and greed and violence. And therefore, destruction is coming. That's what happened in chapter 6. In chapter 7, Micah laments the moral state of the world. That's what happened in verses 1 to 6. Micah has been lamenting. There's no one righteous. This kind of problem of idolatry and moral bankruptcy is widespread. It's everywhere. And so we ended on a negative note. And, the, and the, the prophecy as a whole up to that point was on a negative note. And then in verse 7 and 8, that's where the shift happens. And we move into uh, this declaration or song. And we hear Micah's voice. <clears throat> now <clears throat> what's here verse 8a what does Micah then say so it's a kind of Micah has given a word to the nation he's let the to, 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 his, to Israel he's let the nations listen in and now Micah comes with almost, a, he models a right response to all of this. And here's what he says, 8a. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. So the first thing Micah says is he has a word for his enemies. Perhaps it's Assyria, perhaps it's Babylon, perhaps it's uh, one of the other nations that are attacking the people of God. And it's a word of confidence, isn't it? It's a, it's a word of confidence about the future. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, the enemy that's attacking the people of God. Though I have fallen, I will rise. 
And then what does he say next? Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. So it's a, Micah speaks confidently, not just of what will happen, but what is happening now. Even now, as I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Then in verse 9, then, then at the start of verse 9, he says, Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Micah acknowledges his own sin, and he doesn't have a complaint about the Lord's response to sin, but a humble submission to it. I will bear the Lord's wrath. Then he says, until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. You see, this is a thing we, we read in the Bible regularly. He's basically saying, until the Lord delivers me from the Lord. You see, the Bible's viewpoint is that as a sinner, the God of the Bible is the biggest problem that we have. But also that the God of the Bible is our only hope. The Lord is both the biggest problem and the only hope. And that's exactly right because he's the creator. He's all powerful and it's to him alone that we will be accountable. And there is nothing we can do but look to his mercy. So then in verse 10, what does Micah say next? He says, then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. This victory, right? Victory is coming. You see, he will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. He will plead my cause. These are words of faith. And then he turns to the enemy again. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. You see, what does this mean? She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? What that is, is a kind of, if you look in Isaiah chapter 36 to 37, you see uh, some bloke called a Rabshakeh. I don't know how you pronounce it. Rabshakeh. He, he, he represents uh, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, I think, and he comes to the city of Jerusalem and he taunts the, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And one of the ways that he does it is, is he lists off all the gods of the other nations that, that the Assyrian king has already smashed. So he says, you know, where are, the go- where, are the, where, are the, where are these other gods? Where's, you know, I can't remember their names. Um, And he lists them off. And then he says, what about your God? Go back and tell Hezekiah, we've smashed every other God on the way to you. And what makes you think your God's going to be any different? Right? And look at us. We're all around your city. It doesn't look like your God is doing very well. Where is your God? Right? And see, what's happening is, in terms of just thinking about the type of literature that we're reading here and getting ourselves into this world, we're looking in on the history of Israel and that history is played out in a time when people publicly believed in a multiplicity of gods. This is normal. And one of the questions on the table was the ability and power of any given god. 
And so this, this thing, where is your God, is a, is a taunt about the apparent weakness of the God of Israel, the Lord. And Micah's claim here is a claim of faith that says the tide will turn. So what does he say next in verse 11? Then he turns to the city. His, his, his song turns now to speak about uh, Jerusalem and about the nation. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. This is a word of, again, of peace and prosperity is coming. Victory is coming. It's going to be a turnaround. Although that promised judgment that the Lord has said, you see, there was a word of, you're going to go into exile. You're going to get, Jerusalem's going to get smashed. Samaria's going to get smashed. But Micah's there in the midst of that and saying, but on the other side of that, there's going to be restoration. Verse 12, in that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. He says to the nation of Israel, the nations that were once hostile, the turnaround's going to be so great that the nations that were once hostile will come to you. They will actually come to you. It's a way of saying you will be the head and not the tail. You will be esteemed as a nation. Like the days of Solomon when the Queen of Sheba came to see the wisdom of Solomon. The nations will come to you. From all over the earth. This is a kind of Israel will be the chief. And then verse 13, the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. So he says, you will be, restoration will come to you, the nations will come to you, but all around you, out, everywhere outside of you, will be desolation. And so here we see in Micah's song, or in his confession, um, a word, a word to, to the listening nations, and that's a word to our listening neighbours. And that word is that there's a warning and an invitation. That's what Micah has here to the nations that are listening in. And the warning is that our God is going to fight for his people and he's going to win. And this means that every enemy is going to get destroyed. Outside of us is danger, and, but we are the safe space. And likewise, there's the invitation. You were enemies, but you could be friends. So the idea of in that day, in verse 12, in that day people will come to you from Assyria and cities of Egypt, is, it's an invitation as well. It's an invitation to the nations to turn, to come. The you is a little bit ambiguous. They'll come to Israel. They'll come to the Lord. And this theme runs right through the Bible. Right through the Bible, there is the, the picture of the nations. You can come to the place of God's salvation 
and outside there will be destruction. And that remains exactly the same today. Although you're an enemy, you could be a friend. And you see, the nations, what they should do in these verses is they should hear what has been said before. So at the beginning where it says, hear all peoples, they should have gone, okay, that's us. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 2, where we saw that the nations would come, they would stream to Zion, they should have thought, oh, okay, that, that could be me. In chapter 4, verse 13, where they've read that the, the God of Israel is claiming to be the, God, the Lord of all the earth, they should have gone, oh, okay, that includes me. And in 5 verse 15, when the Lord said, I'm going to take vengeance on the nations that don't listen, they should have gone, right, I better listen. And it sounds like there's an invitation for me here to come, to stream up to the mountain of the Lord. And it sounds like there could be salvation here for me. That would be the right response. Every warning, it's probably worth noting here that every warning in the Bible of coming destruction, there's a, there is on the other side of that coin the invitation to salvation. A warning of judgment is just is only half the equation. It's a don't destroy yourself, come and get saved. And so now in verse 14, Micah turns. To the Lord, and now he directs his words directly to the Lord. And he says, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. Micah turns to the Lord and says, Keep your word. The Lord's response is, note the first person now in the response. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them wonders. That's what the Lord says back to Micah. Just like Exodus, there's going to be another wonderful deliverance. Then verse 16 and 17, nations will see and be ashamed Deprived of all their power, they will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. This shifts back to Micah speaking. And Micah continues to elaborate on the victory of the Lord over the nations. And here we have a picture of complete subjection. And this adds to that warning to the nations. And then in verse 18 to 20, Micah turns to the Lord again. Who is, li who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 
You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. He turns to the Lord at the end here and he he marvels. Who is a God like you? And then he unpacks some of the character of the Lord. A God who pardons sin and forgives transgression. A God who doesn't stay angry but delights to show mercy. A God who has compassion. A God who deals with our biggest problem by throwing our iniquities into the depths of the sea. A God who is faithful to his word. You will be faithful to Jacob. And a God who shows love to his people. So that is what is there. Now, you might be thinking, what was all that stuff at the start about living by faith? And my question is, what is driving this confession of Micah? As we've, as we've just walked through it and we kind, of, we kind of think, get under the skin of it, what's under here? What's behind this song? How can Micah shift in the way that he has done? It, he's in a context where he's saying, where, where the situation is actually, the nation has sinned, and the Lord has promised judgment and the nation is going to go into exile but then Micah can turn and sing this really confident faith-filled, hope-filled song these words directed to the enemy who are actually smashing Israel These words directed to, in a way, self-reflecting. When the Lord has said that this nation is full of sin, he's kind of owned that and said, this problem of sin that has got us into this mess is actually going to be resolved. They're incredibly faith-filled words. This nation, this, this, this city that we're in, that we've been told in earlier chapters, Mike has heard from the Lord in earlier chapters, and he's told them, is going to become ploughed like a field. The city of Zion is going to be ploughed like a field, and Samaria is going to be turned into rubble. This is chapter 1 and chapter 3. Micah, in the midst of that, is saying, we're going to have victory. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to come out and see light. I'm going to see the righteousness of the Lord. The enemy is going to be defeated. All my sins, this pro- the problem that has got us into this mess, is going to be totally dealt with. And all God's promises are going to come true. And that's where I think, that is what I think is underneath the skin of it all. And you can see that here in verse 20. And so this is what I want us to see. I want us to go away out of here with the conviction, with a strengthened conviction that the Christian life is about living by faith in God and in his promises. And then I want us to bank our lives on God and on his promises. 
We're going to see a couple of them here, but I'm just going to quickly show us how, why I think Micah's doing that. Look, look at what's right at the, the final verse of this book. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. You see, God had said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. He'd said to Jacob, I will be your God. The blessing had gone down to Jacob. So, so in referring back to Jacob and being faithful to Jacob and showing love to Abraham, Micah's saying to the Lord, you're going to be faithful to your promises. That's the kind of God that you are. <clears throat> and how else do I know this? Because what, what, is, what is riddled in what Micah's saying actually comes out of the revelation that the Lord has already showed him. So in chapter 2, verse 2, just look at chapter 2, verse two, uh, 2, verse 12 with me, right? So one of the prayers that Micah prayed was, shepherd your people with your staff, yeah? That's what he prayed to the Lord in chapter 7, verse 14. It says to the Lord, shepherd your people with your staff. Look what the Lord said in chapter 2, verse 12. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a sheepfold, like a, sh like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. Right? Micah's saying to the Lord in his song here, Lord, do what you said you're going to do. Isn't that instructive for our prayers and our life of faith? Do just what you said you're going to do. And look, we see it again in chapter 4, verse, uh, uh, four, verse 6 to 8. So in 4 verse 6 to 8, the Lord's talking about the future day of restoration. He says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. Here's Micah knows, right? He's got hope because he knows what the Lord has said. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away into a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And then he says, As for you, watchtower of the flock. To picture... Of the, the, the people are like a flock and the Lord is ruling over them and dominion will come back to them. And then in chapter 5, a little bit further on, in verse, in verse 4, this ruler who will come, what we read about in five, chapter 5 verse 2, will look, look what this ruler will do. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. Right? What's Micah's prayer? Lord, shepherd your people with your staff. Do what you've promised to do. Do what you've promised to do. Micah knows the promises of God. And he prays and he sings and he's living in this situation out of that place. And the second thing that I think is behind this, that's fueling Micah's, uh, this song of his, is that he knows the character of the Lord. And you see, you know, it, it, there's a kind of mixture, I haven't quite worked out how to uh, untangle this, but in the background of this song is the Exodus. And here's what I mean. In verse 15, we see it really clearly, right? 
as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. So the Lord himself has, has got pricked Micah's ears. Remember the Exodus? It's going to be another one. Right? <clears throat> but then, even in the things that Micah says, show us that Micah himself has been meditating on the Exodus. And so he's got the acts of the Lord in the background, strengthening his faith. And part of what he sees in that Exodus, that, that Exodus chapter is, is the kind of God who is compassionate and gracious. And that's Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 to 6. It's a passage that if you don't know, you should get to know because it's key to understanding the Bible. Moses asks that the Lord would show him his glory. The Lord says, I'm going to pass by you, hide in the rock. He passes by and then he gets this phrase that we've heard before. The Lord, the Lord, as the Lord passes by, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He carries on to say that he's, he, he doesn't, there's a tension here. And that he also says not forgiving the wicked, but he's a just God as well. But, but the point here I'm bringing up is that Micah has still heard the note of compassion. And that's why he says here, who is a God like you? That's probably Exodus 15, 11, right? In the, in the song that they sing when they come out of Egypt. Um, that in, there's, a, there's a line in there, who is, who is a God like you, O Lord? And there's also the, the language of the horse and the rider, you've hurled them into the sea. You see, that's the song that they come out of Exodus. So all these themes in Exodus are coming through at the end of, this, of Micah's prophecy here. And he's looking back and he's going, he's, as, just to sum as we come into land, he's looking back and he's saying, the Lord promised to Abraham and to Jacob that he would gather his people that he would get them out of Egypt, that he would put them in the land, and he did just that. He did it with a mighty hand. He revealed to himself at that time that he was a gracious and compassionate God, and that is where our hope lies as sinners, and so we look to him. And so that looking back upon the history of his people and of the acts of God, the character of God, and the promises of God fuels Micah's faith so that he can sing this song in the midst of his trouble. And that's what I hope can happen with us. And here is just one little takeaway for us now. You think, okay, good, give me a promise. There is still going to be victory for God's people. Perhaps it's the case that you're taunted by the enemy at work. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why we hesitate in talking to people about the Lord Jesus. Is because we don't want the conflict or the taunting. And maybe you can lay hold of the short little word. Then my enemy will see it 
and will be covered in shame. Or maybe it will be that you can say, nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. Or maybe it's that you'll have hope for your uh, workmates and say, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. The nations will come. People will get saved. The Lord will gather people. So I invite you to either go through Micah or grab hold of one of these little ones here. Chew on it. Consider the Lord. And, as I think Micah would have us do, sing a song of faith with him. Find a promise. Get hold of God's word. Bank your life on it. And live by faith. Trust in God. I'm going to pray. And then Matthew's going to lead us in some song. Our great God, we thank you so much that you are faithful to your word. Thank you that you've given us your word, that you've revealed to us your will and your plans. We thank you that in the Lord Jesus you have hurled our sins into the depths of the sea. Thank you that you have had compassion on your people, that you did restore them and that you gave them Jesus. Thank you that you've given us great promises to sustain us as we look and hope in you for that final victory. Please help us to find treasures in your word that we can lay hold of by faith and please help us to fully trust your word and live by it and so like Micah sing your praises who is a God like you Amen. Amen.